Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Hello, friend. Uh, Bob recently had surgery on his left leg. He's in a lot of pain. Anita is Bob's wife. She's been helping him. But yesterday she fell and broke her arm, and now she can't help him. So in Bob's words, we are struggling. Bob and Anita are faithful members of the Faith Radio family. They are probably listening right now. So join me in praying for them. Holy God, we uh, bear up before you our brother Bob and our sister Anita and ask that you would invade their space right now, Um, Father, that you would be palpably present, that you would be tenderly tending, that you would be supplying for their needs, and um, Father, that you would heal them. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Mornings with Carmen. You're listening to Faith Radio, our Growing Your Faith Verse of the Day, which we talk about each and every day. We want to be in the Word of God, that the Word of God would get into us, that um, when we're pressured, when we're under the pressure of the world, which we will find ourselves under the pressure of the world today, it will squeeze us. And when it does, we want um, grace and truth to pour forth. So in order for that to happen, we got to be filled up. So I call it going to the love well in order that we might love well. So we're going to dip into the Word of God today using our Growing Your Faith verse of the day. It is Isaiah 40, verse 31, and so apropos, um, so apropos that we would be on this verse today, uh, and I'm going to lift it up specifically not only for Bob and Anita, but um, for others who need a renewal of strength today. Do you need a renewal of strength today? I think we probably all do. Do you trust in the Lord? That's the qualifier at the beginning of the verse. So Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Do you trust in the Lord today? Do you need a renewal of strength today? What a verse to read as we consider the challenges and needs that we all face. Oh, God, renew my strength. Renew the strength of Bob and Anita. Heal and restore and bless. I'm thinking of Susie, who's having trouble sleeping, and Nancy, who's feeling defeated after breaking her wrist. I'm thinking of Ben, whose child is flirting with disaster, and for Andrea, whose mother has dementia. Oh, Lord, they trust you. Renew their strength today. For Leah, whose daughter is getting married tomorrow and there's really complex family dynamics going on. For Mia, who is suffering the consequences of some choices that she has made. I'm thinking of a person I know who feels very trapped in addiction and a father who wants to love him well but doesn't really know how to balance all of that. 
people carrying um, a lot today. Lord, they trust you. Renew their strength. I'm thinking of medical personnel and emergency workers who are serving people who are suffering in the midst of this extreme heat and uh, churches that have opened their doors as cooling centers. And as people come in, you know, you, you find that getting out of the heat is not their only need. Thinking of teachers and school administrators and coaches and parents and students preparing for a new school year and um, for families making those decisions about, well, when you got to take mom and dad's keys away and when you got to have a hard conversation with them about, you know what, you can't, you can't live here by yourself in this house anymore. For each one who is tending today to the chronic needs of another person who can no longer care for themselves, oh, Lord, they trust you. Renew their strength. God is faithful. We can put all our anxieties and worries on him. We can allow him to renew our strength. Let's trust him today. As I was uh, preparing to talk with you this morning, the Lord brought to mind these four boys. I I knew them uh, back in the late 1990s, very, very early 2000s. This is probably 2000, 2001. Um, They were four boys from Croatia, and they moved to our rural community in northeast Georgia. They had a host family, and they were attending a boarding school. They were all really tall. Uh, The basketball team was more than happy to have them. There was obviously a language barrier, and they were making a choice. I now know they were making a choice that every 17-year-old boy in Ukraine is facing today. Do I stay and fight and likely die, or do I flee to somewhere else in the world where I know no one, I don't know the language, I'm going to live apart from everyone and everything I've ever known, but I might have a future? Let's talk next about the decision being faced by every 17-year-old boy in Ukraine today. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We've all been there in one way or another. Should I stay or should I go? Um, It might just be, you know, that it's uh, time to leave a party. It's time to leave a relationship. It's time to leave a job. Should I stay or should I go? Given the possibility of being drafted into a brutal fight, um, every 17-year-old male in Ukraine is faced with this life-and-death decision. Should I stay or should I go? And then come all the other questions. Well, if I go, where will I go? Who will have me? Um, Where would I live? How, How long would I be there? What would I do? Who would I leave behind? Don't they need me? It's amazing how we think of them as children on one day. And then on the very next day, when they turn 18, we think of them as men. Does that even, like, make sense? Well, last weekend, I I sat next to, I guess it was Monday, actually, that I flew home. So Monday, I sat next to an 18-year-old high school graduate. He just graduated in May, right? Uh, He grew up in Virginia, and... um, he he didn't have a backpack. He didn't, I mean, like the rest of us, he's not traveling with a roller bag. He has basically a sheet of paper and his ticket and a small Ziploc baggie in his hand. Um, and because I am an observant person and think everybody's business is my business, <clears throat> I asked him, you know, 
are you are you headed uh, to basic training? <laughs> and he said, yep, um, headed to Camp Lejeune. I said, okay, so, um, you know, tell me how you're feeling. What's going on? He says, well, my recruiter picked me up yesterday at my house, and I said goodbye to my mom and my little brother and my little sister, and he took me to the processing center in uh, Pennsylvania. First thing they handed me was a pair of scissors to cut off as much of my own hair as I could. In his little Ziploc bag, he's got his phone charger and $20. I looked at it and looked down at it, and he said, yeah, that's all that we can bring. They're going to take my phone away from me first thing when we arrive, um, and I won't get it back for 13 weeks. I want you to think about that for just just a minute. Just a minute. 17-year-old kid, well, 18 now, um, and that device that has been his constant companion, his, his whole life, probably. Um, he's going to, he's not going to have that, let alone the connection that it provides him to the rest of the world. His little sister is going to be seven years old on the day that he graduates from boot camp. Um, and he will be a Marine. He will be a different person than the person I sat next to on that airplane. And if we need him to 13 weeks from now, he will defend us all against threats to our freedom and democracy. That's a lot to expect in 13 weeks. I asked how he was feeling, and he said, well, uh, I haven't been on an airplane ever by myself. I haven't been on an airplane at all for a really long time, so I'm a little nervous. Uh, I know I'm not going to be allowed to sleep until Wednesday night. Um, I don't know... Um, exactly what's going to happen. I do know some things. I'm nervous, he said. And so I just asked, can I pray for you? And he gratefully closed his eyes and bowed his head. So every night that I have laid my head down on my pillow this week, I have thought of that young man and the thousands like him, young and wide-eyed and hopeful and afraid and willing, the few, the proud, the Marines. There's also guys in basic training for the army and those who have gone to serve us in the other branches of the military as well. Do you know one? I do. I'm thanking God for them today. Even as I'm praying for every 17-year-old boy in Ukraine who is making the decision of a lifetime and potentially a decision between life and death. Should I stay or should I go? Let's be mindful of them today as we are making the decisions before us and exercising the freedoms we so freely enjoy. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at myfaithradio.com. All right, my friend, uh, my friend Nancy, um, who just recently broke her wrist, and I've been praying for her about that. But um, my friend Nancy has this allergy. She she can't eat red meat. Actually, she can't re- eat anything that comes from an animal that has a hoof. So <laughs> this is the way that I think about it. So it's not like she can't just eat beef. She can't eat venison. She can't eat elk. She can't eat 
anything, and she can't eat the byproduct of anything that has a hoof. Anyway, anything that's rendered from anyway, it, it's 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 bizarre. Like it's crazy, right? I'm like, what what even is this? So she developed this allergy after she got a tick bite, and I had never heard of it before. But now it's like everywhere. Like now the CDC is reporting on it. Mayo Clinic is reporting on it. And I thought, okay, it's like a thing. I mean, not that I doubted that she has this thing, but um, it's not an obscure thing. So I'm wondering, do you have a food allergy? And uh, and if so, how did it develop? Do you actually know how you got it? Like this is a strange one. It's called alpha-gal syndrome, which it's not like, you know, alpha-gal, but it's got a hyphen in there. Um, and and I'm reading here from the Mayo Clinic website because uh, I thought that um, as I was reading up on this, this one is uh, the easiest to understand. So it's the syndrome that is a food allergy, and it it actually makes people allergic to red meat and other products that are made from mammals. So when when uh, Nancy tells me she can't eat the meat of a hoofed animal, it's really any mammal. So she can eat chicken. There you go. Um, in the United States, the condition usually begins with the bite of something called the Lone Star Tick, which makes it sound like it's from Texas, but actually they're pretty ubiquitous uh, across the southeastern United States. And what happens when this particular tick bites you, it transfers a sugar molecule called alpha-gal into your body. And in some people, that triggers a reaction from their body's defenses, and it tells the immune system, hey, you got to fight this. You got to fight this. Well, it in it, it causes then either mild to severe allergic reactions to beef, pork, lamb, venison, elk, all, 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 all the red meats. It can also cause reactions to other foods that come from mammals like dairy products or even like gelatins, which was a surprise to me. So there you go. Um, why am I sharing with sharing this with you? Because I actually know a lot of people who have all kinds of maladies caused by tick bites. And because tis the season of ticks, certainly where I live, probably the season of ticks where you live, um, I just want to encourage everybody to be not just watchful and mindful and careful, but, um, you know, let's rid ourselves uh, of them as quickly as possible. And and then let's pray for people who have been um, exposed through a tick bite to all kinds of challenging and difficult and ongoing um, physical maladies. Um, in this case, the alpha-gal syndrome, but I'm also... Um, you know, thinking of people who have Lyme disease and uh, all kinds of other things that are caused uh, by tick bites. So let's be um, mindful and praying and uh, and encouraging to one another. There's lots of tick-borne diseases in the United States, and I don't want one, and I don't want you to have one either. Um, moving from, you know, the tiny and, you know, I don't know what else to call them, but, you know, terrible little creatures— to UFOs, because that seems like a good segue, does it not? So this is like real coffee just between the two of us where we sit down and I range about and you get to see like, oh, Carmen is interested <laughs> in lots of things. So UFOs, I would be tempted to, to ask if you've seen one, but then, of course, you might actually text me 877-933-2484. 
Um, so Congress has been holding hearings this week in relationship to unidentified uh, aerial phenomenon. We, we apparently no longer call them UFOs, but because it's the common parlance, I throw it out there. Um, so UAPs, and the reason that they call them UAPs now is that they're not always sure there is a physical craft involved, and so they don't want to call it an object um, and, uh, and they don't necessarily describe what's happening as flying. And so it is happening in the air. And so it's aerial. So unidentified, still that word, cause we don't know what they are, where they've come from, where they're going, what they're up to, um, unidentified flying replaced with aerial and object replaced with phenomenon. So now we have unidentified aerial phenomenon. The person who testified publicly um, also testified behind closed doors for several hours. And it was very interesting to witness the very bipartisan collegiality that was demonstrated by members of Congress um, who are ordinarily uh, on opposite sides of everything and have a really hard time (laughs) agreeing with one another. So these three former military officials told Congress on Wednesday that they believe that the U.S. government knows a whole lot more about UAPs or UFOs than it is actually telling the public. Um, and so it's um, um, it was interesting. They gave testimony that there are unexplained objects not only cited, but that the government is in possession of, um, of these objects, some of these objects, these downed craft, uh, and non-human biological matter that arrived with these um Objects. I don't know. I'm calling them objects now. See, I I fall into the temptation every time. So here's one thing that I learned yesterday in relationship to this. There is a group at Harvard who said, you know what, this really is probably not something that the government should just be out there by itself doing. Like, like researchers need to get in on this. So um, there was a an un, one of these UAPs some time ago, and they knew where in the Pacific Ocean it crash landed, crashed, landed, crashed, disappeared. And so they put a team together and they got one of those deep water submersibles that we've now all learned about because of the Titan um, submersible experience uh, tragically just a few weeks ago. And they went out there and they actually found this debris on the floor of the ocean about a mile down. And they collected it and they took it to Harvard and they're studying it. So um, there might be more to this story. And apparently the debris that they found was, um, you know, it had been incinerated, obviously, during its crash. And then it went to the bottom of the ocean. And so what they ended up collecting were what looked like little tiny metal spheres, which is if you had imagined that something was molten and then it hit the ocean like raindrops, um, it would, that would be how it would re-solidify. So there you go. We we might find out more. And we, and if we do, here's the thing, we ought not be afraid. It does not scare me to think that God might have more going on in the universe than just us. Um, so what would it mean for us to have neighbors? That's the way I'm going to start thinking about this. I'm not going to think about them as aliens. <laughs> if they exist, then there are neighbors. I know, I know, strange way of thinking, but that's part of what I'm here to do. Provoke some surprise and delight uh, in our coffee conversations. 
every morning. Let's take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All right. uh, Twitter is now X, which doesn't really, I don't really know how this works because everybody has a blue bird that you click on to get to Twitter, but apparently now it's an X. I don't know if that means that it's now just called X, like, and and if so, then what am I calling a tweet? I, it just makes no sense to me, but here you go. Elon Musk is apparently fascinated with the letter X. And so I thought, you know what, as a, as a conversation that Christians can have, um, important to remember that the letter X is also... Um, the Greek letter chi, and the Greek letter chi um, is basically an abbreviation for Christ. I don't know if, um, you know, so chi being the first letter of Christos in Greek, Christ, it begins with the letter, what looks like an X, it's a chi. Uh, And so in shorthand, for those of us who write a lot and would use the word Christ a lot in what we write, you know, we just put an X. That that is what we put there. In <laughs> um in much I mean that's the same way that we use a chi row to um the intersection of a chi and a row to designate church. It's just it's it's shorthand. Or the way we just use a theta, which looks like a big O with a line in the middle, um, as shorthand for, for God. So I bring this up today because there is a way for you and I to enter into even the the weird conversation about Twitter becoming X and to do so and bring the mind of Christ to bear. Actually, like, bring Christ to bear and talk about, you know, what it means for X to mark the spot. Um, yeah. Chris Martin uh, joins us uh, frequently. We like to talk about all things uh, social media and the social internet. Uh, we want to catch up with him again today. I saw this article about Christians who are building chat bots with a biblical worldview, and I thought, huh, that's worth talking about. So Chris Martin is going to join us next, um, and we're going we're gonna to talk about the intersection of social media and AI and, yeah, the Christian faith and how we're walking it out in the world that God so loves. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, our friend Chris Martin is joining us. You should be signed up for his Terms of Service newsletter at Substack. Uh, Chris, good morning. Welcome back. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Okay, so Christian Christians are out there creating. That does not surprise me. Uh, they're building chatbots with a biblical worldview. Uh, Bible Mate is one of them. Um, apparently, there's another one called, I'm scrolling down here, uh, pastors.ai. They've got a Facebook group, AI for church leaders and pastors. All of that was news to me. Um, what 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 did you learn or what have you learned about all of this? Yeah, I read the article in the Washington Post, uh, I think from this week, um, yeah, in the last seven days or so, about, um, it's from Religion News Service, about Christians and Christian leaders in particular who are having a more sort of embracing uh, and welcoming view of AI, generative AI and chatbots that are all the rage right now, for now anyway. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of conversations about 
AI and, and particularly AI's applications to ministry, as I'm sure you understand, it's a little bit outside of my typical scope of social media, but still related to the internet and how we share data with each other. And, um, you know, I'm, I've, in all the study I've done of it so far, I'm still not exactly sure how to feel, but I think what I'm trying to do, um, and this applies specifically to like the, you know, Christians creating chatbots, especially like some of these things we're reading about and that we're talking about are, are like chatbots and AI tools made for pastors to like help them write sermons and stuff. And, and I think there's a way in the, in the spirit of um, chatbots and AI tools being sort of um, personal assistants. Uh, a lot of people have advocated for, you know, don't, don't just uh, have a chatbot write your sermon for you, but have it help you do research. I think that kind of approach can be really helpful. Um, and, you know, help, if, you, if you could have a sort of automated tool help you sift through the dozen commentaries you would have otherwise spent three hours sifting through yourself for that one particular quote or something. I think, it, you know, if we can find ways that generative AI and chatbots can help us do research as Christian leaders, I think that can be really cool and really helpful. Um, however, I struggle to see how that's very much different than just like a good search engine. And mm -hmm. so what I mm -hmm. would be particularly concerned about is um, I don't think any Christian leader, whether author or pastor um, should be using content generated by AI as their own. You know, I work for a publisher, so we've had a lot of conversations about this from like a publishing perspective and how we're going to handle this. If we have an author who submits something that is partially generated by AI, whether they say that themselves or we discover that. Um, and we just have kind of put, a, a kibosh on it, generally speaking, like, hey, we're not going to accept any content written by AI because we think that there's just a lot of gray, at least gray, if not clear ethical issues with someone proposing or presenting in any way, whether from the pulpit or in a book or in an article, content that has their name on it that they didn't write um, and that they didn't explicitly create. And so if I were a pastor looking for a tool to help me with sermon prep or, or, you know, however else you could see a Christian using a generative AI tool, I would be concerned about the ethical implications of that tool being anything more than a sort of research help. Uh, I would, I would not copy paste anything, not only because of, you know, uh, suspect accuracy issues, but also, uh, just because, you know, if you didn't create the content, you shouldn't put your name on it. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's really wise. That's really wise. Um, it's like a strange new world of plagiarism <laughs> where a machine yeah. has developed the the thought. And then as soon as I say a machine developed a thought, I'm like, uh, did it really develop a thought or did it aggregate material that it had been fed? And so can we right. just remind, we remind ourselves and everybody else, like a chat bot, uh, th these these generative AI programs, they only know what they've been taught. And so what these guys are doing um, in, in terms of these the development of a, quote, chatbot with a biblical worldview, they're just feeding into it certain material um, and it's selective material. And so, um, you know, they're feeding the Bible into it in every 
in probably every version, but they're also feeding it commentaries and Bible studies and those kinds of things. They're yeah. telling it what to consume, and then out of that, it is generating feedback. And that's why you're saying it works as a research tool because theoretically, the chatbot can move through that material a whole lot faster than I can. Right. And my hope would be, you know, I've never been a pastor that preaches every week, but I've, I've, um, I've taught hundreds of lessons in weekly youth groups and things like that. And I, you know, I have a Bible undergrad and a seminary degree. I find the research process to be sort of worshipful and really important mm-hmm. to me, even mm-hmm. if it takes a long time. Amen. Um, so like, it's important, it's important for me to spend three hours paging through various resources. Um, so I guess the reason I'm hesitant isn't because I think it's like morally bad, like, you know, black and white, this is bad, never do it. But I think that, that the pastor in the name of efficiency would lose something paging through those resources himself. Um, and I don't know that the efficiency is worth it. And so it's more of a sort of like wisdom and is is efficiency worth this kind of thing for me more than it even is like yeah like the plagiarism thing and and knowing like hey where this information actually come from like that's a problem and i think that's something that should be addressed and that should be um always considered at the fore in this issue um but also like i i feel like these tools are expediting a process that doesn't necessarily need i feel like we're fixing a problem that we shouldn't really have um, and I know, you know, some pastors, you know, I'm the only, you know, a pastor may be thinking like, I'm the only pastor at my church. I've got to do like hospital visits and weddings and all this kind of stuff. I barely have any time for a sermon. Well, I think the Lord can bless you without you having to use a chat bot to prep your sermon. So I, I think, you know, people have done it for hundreds, thousands of years. I think you can pull it off without this tool. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't even encourage a, a pastor who feels stretched too thin to lean too hard on something like this. But I think a lot of us have been using, we've been using AI unawares for years. And so I think it's important for us to not just like blacklist, oh, never touch anything that has AI on it. Because I think we've been, we've really been using it for a long time and it is, it can be very helpful. I just think um, these new tools that are being spun up for pastors and church leaders, A, I think are just kind of um, a way to try to generate revenue and make money um, by, by hitching a wagon onto a really trendy thing. And I think it might be expediting a process that pastors shouldn't necessarily be interested in expediting. Mm, interesting. Interesting. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's visit, let's revisit the wolf in their pockets. So the wolf in their pockets is uh, for those of you who may have just joined us, we have a whole new listening audience in Missouri. So welcome to all of you, Chris Martin Um he works for Moody Publishing, but I have known him since uh, since before those days. He spent um, he has spent a lifetime in youth ministry. Although now that he's raising his own family, uh, he's not actively engaged in youth ministry right now at the you know at the moment. Um, he's a husband and a dad and a brother in Christ and an author. And his latest book is called The Wolf in Their Pockets. And it's been out for uh, a few months now. And I thought, you know what? Let's circle back around um, and let's talk about some of the highlights from from the book. So um, I think it's sometimes fun, Chris, to ask an author like, hey, what are the things that, you know, a few months in 
you're like, you know what? These are my favorite. These are my favorite quotes. And you recently actually posted a list of your favorite quotes from the book in an attempt to introduce new people to the content. So I thought we might just walk around in some of that. Yeah, sure. It's it's kind of fun, too. I, I was going to say this morning, um, a shared friend of ours, a mutual friend, uh, Jason Thacker, just wrote a review of The Wolf in Their Pockets for Nine Marks website and magazine, perhaps. Um, and it was, a, it was a great review. He and I, he and I, um, I love talking about these things with him because there are some key things he and I kind of disagree on, but we... Uh, but we really value what each other had to say. And, and I thought his review of Wolf was really generous while expressing his disagreement. So if you're interested in what someone who doesn't agree with everything I have to say in the book uh, has to think, you can go check out that review at, at the Nine Marks website. But um, yeah, I, you know, I shared this list of quotes because, yeah, I was thinking a lot of people have kind of joined the newsletter in the last four to six months who don't really know much about the book at all. And it'd be a good time to to introduce it. And I'm about to take a pretty significant newsletter break. And so uh, I was like, well, I should probably tell people about this book before I go away for a long time. Um, that, that, way they can, that, I, that way they can go, go read ahead. it themselves and, and they, they'll have something that is Chris Martin to do. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the uh, a couple quotes that I, I like, um, I'll just read them from page 54 on uh, a chapter about community and friendship, I think. Um, the great paradox of Christian friendship is that our best friends wound us when we need wounding and bind up our wounds when they need binding. It's a grave misunderstanding to think that our best friends are the ones who make us most comfortable, ignore our shortcomings, and never spur us on to becoming more like Christ. Friends are not therapeutic drugs we use to feel better about ourselves. Friends are brothers and sisters in Christ who have permission to call us out when we aren't imaging our Savior and who pick us up and dust us off when we've fallen in our lifelong walk of faithfulness to him. Um, so that's a, a bit on, on friendship and community. Um, another one, uh, so good. It's so good. That, that sort of falls into that, um, category where you talk about that we're not meant to be alone, that this is yeah. not, this is not, um, we're not meant to just be all by ourselves with Jesus. It's a, it's a sure. communal experience to be a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. One, uh, one toward the end of the book, I think it's even in like the epilogue right at the end, um, because I, I realized that coming to the end of a book about social media is shaping the people in your church more than you are, um, or the people in your family more than you are. It could be kind of a discouraging feeling, um, where I've, I've heard from plenty of pastors and parents who are like, man, like I, this book is really helpful, but it didn't like, you know, lift my heart up per se. And I'm like, yeah, just, that's, yeah, it's not an encouraging book. Um, by any means, that's not really the goal. Um, but at the end I do try to leave, readers with a bit of a word of encouragement that it's just, it's not all up to you. Um, and I write that sometimes we need to be strong for the people we lead. We also need to be weak for them. It's when we have the courage to be weak that we can rely on the supernatural Holy Spirit to lead us in the supernatural work that God sent the son to commission us to do. You may feel like social media is shaping the people you love more than you ever could, but that's okay because it isn't up to you. It's up to God's spirit in you and in them. And that's on page 209, I think, toward the end. Mm. Um, so, so, yeah, I think I think it's important for us, you know, as Christians to recognize that um, as we're parents, you know, I, we have a three-year-old uh, who is obviously not on social media, but, you know, watches, you know, shows and that sort of thing. We've already seen these these shows or movies kind of influencing her and her vocabulary and things like that. I think it's important for us, whether we're parents or pastors, to just always have our finger on the pulse of what is influencing the people in our care uh, and and how it could be influencing them more than we are, 
And I think it's important for us to not assume or take for granted that we are the most influential forces in the lives of the people we lead. Um, again, whether they're our children or our members in our church, our churches. Um, and it's, it's just tempting to think you're more influential in other people's lives than you actually are. And um, to the extent that we can be reminded like, hey, no, actually people are being influenced by something like social media a lot more than we maybe think. And there are things we can do about that. What can we do about that? I think it's good for us to not really bury our heads in the sand, but address these things head on. We're going to continue our conversation with Chris Martin here in just a moment. If you've got a particular question you'd like uh, me to ask him, you can always text me 877-933-2484. We're going to um, we're going to continue our conversation about social media, its influence in our lives. Have you thought recently about the fact that the reason the social media platform that you use is free, um, the reason it's free is because you are the product. Mm. Chris is going to remind us about that next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Chris Martin is here with us. His Terms of Service uh, newsletter is, uh, is absolutely worth signing up for. His latest book, The Wolf in Their Pockets, is a is a great opportunity for you to engage in the conversation about who is influencing, um, yeah, particularly young people today. But because of the the smartphones' influence in all of our lives, um, this is relevant to each and every one of us. Nikki's got a question, uh, Chris, that I tried to answer. So I'm going to ask you the question, and I'm going to try my answer and see. Uh, what you think. So Nikki asks, well, who's on the other end of chat GPT? Um, and who is censoring what you query? Do we blindly trust it? So here was my answer. The who on the other end starts with the developer, but there's this like open process and it the 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 chat bot continues to quote grow or learn. Um, and that's the generative part of this conversation. So there is no human being censoring or managing what the chatbot says in answer to your query. Is that close to right? Yeah, that's right. I think the simple answer that requires a little bit of an explanation because it sounds like mysterious is who is on uh, who's on the other end of the chatbot? All of us are. All mm. of us are on the other end of the chatbot because it's what it's doing is it's like, mm it's spitting the entirety of the internet back at you, not in search results, but in prose. So it's, it's literally what this company has done, right? In, in like open AI with ChatGPT as an example, they've downloaded the entirety of the internet into a virtual brain and taught it how to write like a human, generally speaking. It's not a very good writer, but it, it, it doesn't just give you gobbledygook. It gives you, it gives you search results in sentences like a human would talk. And 
it's literally just the entirety of the internet up until September 2021, I think. Um, and instead of when you when you Google, how do I change the headlight in my Ford Taurus, instead of giving you three videos and eight links that you would have to click on to go find your result, it will list step by step. You know, it might ask you, well, what's the year of your car or something like that? It will list for you step by step how you should go about changing the headlight in your Ford Taurus. Um, that's really the main difference here. Now, where it starts to get a little bit murky and cloudy and a lot of people, Christians or otherwise, are kind of concerned about is like questions that are more subjective in nature, right? Like about morality or like, is it okay for, um, you know, is homosexual marriage okay? Is, is gay marriage okay? Is it acceptable? Is it, is it good for society? Now, obviously, like that's not a question that's like, how do I change the headlight my Ford Taurus that like has a step-by-step, like, here's what you do. Um, and so it has the entirety of the internet in its head. I've not actually tried this with ChatGPT. I've not messed with it in this way. But what it's probably going to tell you is uh, that like, yes, it's okay. Or like different cultures have different perspectives on whether or not this is allowed. Like, and then it might list like this culture says it's okay. And this culture says it's not. Um, and so really on the other end of ChatGPT is the entirety of the internet. And this is where it can get kind of, like I said, murky and gray is like, what um, what part of the internet is it going to spit back at you? It varies question to question. Like, we ju- you'd never really know. Now, you can always drill down and ask more. Um, like, okay, but what about, what does this culture think about that moral issue or that moral issue? Um, and so it... It really like I, I think a lot of folks, Christians especially, are concerned about like censorship and things like that. And I, while I understand that, th- there's no one back there pulling levers like, oh, we got to make this thing more liberal or more conservative because that, frankly, that's just not good for business. Like that's the main reason. It's not because they're sympathetic to one political ideology or other. That's just not good for business for them to do that. And so they're going to be as interested as possible in just making it as accurate as possible. But where that can get murky is the, is the morality issues. And this is why I just like, I would ask a Christian, like, don't just don't go to ChatGPT for answers to your moral questions. Go there Mm. for instructions on how to change the headlight in your Ford Taurus, not what you should think about a particular moral issue. Um, and so I think we just need to like hold all of these things with an open hand and recognize that, um, you know, they're not perfect and they're not, they shouldn't be used for certain things, uh, but we should be aware of how they're being used and, and how they can be manipulated. And like you said, like um, there's no human at the other end, but humans are determining the signals that these things are reading. And, and we should just be aware that, bias of any kind can work its way into these tools. Um, but we, I just think we really shouldn't be going to these tools for things that can be really tainted by bias to begin with. I just see them as more sort of pragmatic tools rather than things we should be using for questions of any real import. It's really helpful. Um, Chris, when I say to someone that they need to remember that the social network that they're on is free because they are the product what am I trying to remind us of? Uh, you're trying to remind us of the fact that um, social media platforms don't care about you and me. You know, a lot of us say, oh, I love Facebook. I get to keep up with my friends and family around the world. Or I love Instagram. Like, I just see so many beautiful pictures of people's beach vacations or whatever. Uh, but these platforms don't love you and they don't love me. They don't care about us. Uh, they care about harvesting our data. These, like, social media platforms are advertising platforms are, are digital advertising companies. They're not social, like, you know, it's like Facebook, the social media company. Yeah, I mean, yes, but really it's Facebook 
the digital ad company. Um, that's really what these things are. That's how they function. They make tens of billions of dollars a year by harvesting the data they gather from us based on our taps and our input of status updates or images or videos or the like. And so what we need to remember is when we use these platforms, we're using them for quote unquote free and that we're not paying money, but we are paying with our data. So when you get that ad for nasal spray after you sneeze or after you post about how you have a cold or something like that, you don't get to be freaked out and say it's creepy when you then get an ad for a nasal spray after you've posted that you have a cold or something. Um, because the reason you don't have permission to say that's creepy is because you've signed up for such tailored ads. <laughs> and that's how these things work. And so we just need to recognize that um, we are not the customer of Facebook or Instagram or anything else. We're not the customer. We're the product. The customer is Coca-Cola or the drug company or whoever is purchasing ads to using our data to market products back to us. So we are not the customer. The companies are the customer. We're the product that the customer, the ad companies or the, the companies are buying ads to promote. Okay. I'm 100% not recommending this um, as a Christian to a Christian audience, but you have to watch Joan is Awful. It's just one okay. episode of the Black Mirror. Yeah, Black Mirror. And, mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's about terms of service. It's hilarious. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's terrible. It's awful, but it's hilarious. Okay, so there you go. That's my one, one, one Chris Martin off to the side coffee comment this morning. Good to know. There are, there are, mm -hmm. I, I also do not wholly endorse Black Mirror because there are, there are a lot of objectionable <laughs> themes. However, totally there are a handful of the episodes of that show that are frankly prophetic for where we're at and where we're heading regards to, with regard to our relationship with social media, to be sure. Hopefully, Joan is awful is not one of those. Okay. Chris, um, as always, blessings. Thank you so much. We just delight in our time with you. Yeah. Love being with you. Yeah. That's Chris Martin. Uh, check out his Terms of Service newsletter. Check out The Wolf in Their Pockets. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Uh, hour one is just about over. And so we're going to tee up um, our conversations for the next hour. Are you listening on AM radio? Are you actually listening on an AM signal right now? There's actually an act moving its way through Congress that would ensure AM in every vehicle. That's up next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.